Today's episode of The Day Chang Show is brought to you by State Farm. State Farm agents know that in life, anything can happen. You might buy your dream car on impulse or come home to a broken-in apartment. Maybe say yes to a proposal from your significant other and start a family or find yourself in a fender bender when you least expect it. Whatever happens, when it comes to home and auto insurance, State Farm agents are there to help. And with over 19,000 agents in neighborhoods across the U.S., there could be one just around the corner. So contact an agent today. Because no matter what neighborhood you're from or whatever stage of life you're in, check out statefarm.com today to find an agent in your neighborhood. Statefarm.com. Talk to an agent today. Today's show is also brought to you by Zycam. The last thing I want to do is travel with the cold or get sick on an airplane because I seem to just be traveling nonstop these days. And particularly when I get to see my baby boy, the last thing I want to do is get him sick with a cold. So this winter, trust as I can to knock out a cold at the first sneeze, sniffle, or cough. Other cold medicines only mask cold symptoms, but Zycam is homeopathic and clinically proven to shorten colds when taken at the first sign. Not only is Zycam cold remedy safe and effective, but the assorted fruit medicated fruit drops are delicious and they come in orange, lemon, and cherry flavors. You can find Zycam cold remedy products at all major retailers, including Walmart. Visit Zycam.com slash Chang to receive a $2 coupon on your next Zycam purchase. And now, the Day Chang Show. Welcome to the Day Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Thanks to Yola Tango, as always for letting us use their music in the introduction. This week, we have a pre-opening diaries, a continuation of our series of creative endeavors, whether it be a restaurant, art installation, book, movie in this case. We have Jeremy Tyker and Alexi Pappas. They're married partners. Alexi's an Olympian, long-distance runner, and actor. She participated in the Olympics in the 2016 Rio Olympics, representing Greece. She is a world-class athlete and a fantastic actress. And she's married to Jeremy Tyker, the filmmaker, director, and they've now made two movies together, Tracktown and now Olympic Dreams. This film, Olympic Dreams, is being released tomorrow. It's a romantic comedy co-starring our good friend Nick Kroll in Pyeongchang during the Olympics 2018 Olympics taking place in the Olympic Village. I ran into them there because I was working as a correspondent for NBC. It's one of the most insane opportunities I've ever had in my life as a cultural correspondent for NBC. And I had all access and it was just a dream. I love sports. I love the Olympics. And I've always wanted to be at the Olympic Village and get to interact with athletes and just see what is essentially insanity to pull off this ridiculous endeavor and to celebrate the athletes. And it was all that I wanted and more. And for me, getting to watch this film it was crazy because I was a bystander. I saw just how insane it was for them to do what they were trying to do. These three people making a feature film in the middle of the Winter Olympics, and the I cannot do justice to explain the complexities that they had. First, the weather. It was brutally cold. I mean, it was so cold that like the first seven or eight days, they weren't allowed to ski, do any of the jumps because it was too windy and too cold. And there's so much commotion going on. There's buses, there's cars, there's media everywhere. There's obviously fans everywhere. And I have nothing but awe 
that they made this. And you'll see it. Please check it out. They judo move the whole thing. So Jeremy and Alexi's movie comes out tomorrow, February 14th, Valentine's Day. And as we're doing with all of these pre-opening diaries, we're trying to catch people in that window just before the work goes out. And I can't say enough about this movie. I thought it was amazing. Nick Kroll, not just one of the funniest people out there, but he's a fantastic actor. Alexi Pappas, I mean, she's obviously an Olympian, and I hope that she qualifies for the 2020 Tokyo Summer Olympics, but she's a fantastic actress as well. I really resonated with this movie because so much about an Olympian is training for this one moment and not only just qualifying, but hopefully they medal, but it's not just about winning. It's it's about you know getting to this point and then realizing what's next. And it's a point of view and it's a story that I don't think is oftentimes told so I was very happy that Alexi and Jeremy told the story. I wish I'd gotten Jeremy and Alexi, and unfortunately, I couldn't get Nick on this podcast a little bit earlier while they were still in the process of making the movie, but it's still great to hear from them right now. They'd just gotten off the plane to New York where they're going to the premiere for the Olympic Dreams, and I'm honored to have them on this podcast. This is Jeremy Tyker and Alexi Pappas, pre-opening diaries of their movie, Olympic Dreams, starring Nick Kroll, just the three of them, Beautiful, beautiful film. I loved it very much. Here you go. I'm still in the process of um, doing two, like multiple jobs. So sort of like you. Yeah. You're filmmakers and you're training for the Olympics. That's correct. And running marathons. Yes. And people think they're so different, but you... You probably always find things in common between all of them, right? I tr- I think I try to see that, and so I'm. A little, we're starting this podcast, and it's been a fluster because it's one of those days where there's just tons of shit. And I was like, oh yeah, you know who knows about like having to wear hats that sometimes you don't want to wear is you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How would you? I I'm curious what you call your hats. Like, what would you label yourself? If I'm an athlete and a filmmaker, or an a- athlete and a actress, writer, what are you? I don't know anymore. Okay. I do whatever needs to happen to make shit work. A producer. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's producer, but it's it's uh, now podcasts, TV, and that's now this media stuff that we're, we've been doing. And that was not something I ever thought I'd be doing, much like maybe you did. I don't know, yeah. right? Running was your first love or was it film? I... It was actually the creative stuff, truthfully. I I think I think the commonality between the running and the acting is that they're both performances and I like to perform. And so when I was little, I was performing in sports and in theater and then in college I was the worst on my team for the first couple of years and I found improv theater and so I was thriving on the improv stage and like climbing my way up to the top of the running front, but I didn't score my first team point until I was a junior in college. And that was all I wanted to do was to matter on a team. And then the running like took front seat because it was this like rare opportunity to take advantage of your body's like capacity. And now I feel like uh, I've achieved my Olympic dream. I may achieve it. I may, I may race in Tokyo. We'll see. But I think the arts are slowly taking over more and more in like a really great cathartic way. It's like come full circle. Um, I want to get back to that in a second. You're not, a, are you a runner? No. 
No. We met in college. Alexi and I met during those first two years when she was the worst on her team. So our lifestyles could intersect. Like, <laughs> you know, in we the- We met at a party. Yeah, in the party <laughs> world of, of college. But uh, it's been interesting. Like the movie that we made before Olympic Dreams, our previous film was called Tracktown. And that one, uh, Alexi starred in it with Rachel Dratch and Andy Buckley. And we shot it in Oregon where she was training- she was on a Nike team at that time training for the Rio Olympics. And I found a lot of parallels between like her and her teammates and the kids we were hanging out with, like mostly athletes trying to make it to the games and an indie filmmaker trying to pull off your first big project. Like you're, you're, everyone's just all in on this pretty big goal that you don't 100% know if you'll get. And we kind of talked about this in Korea a little yeah. bit. Yeah, like it's very different than most, you know, if you went to college, like most of your peers are not living that kind of lifestyle. And um, did you, I mean, you guys went to one of the greatest colleges in America. You went to Dartmouth, you met there. And did you guys think you guys were going to be in film? I think Jeremy did. And I wanted to write and I was a poet at Dartmouth. And actually your mentor uh, was the president of Dartmouth. Dr. Jim. Yep. And he gave me a book. He gave all the students a book <laughs> about willpower, and it changed my life. So I just— He, he is the—he's just the coolest. He's the— it, Yeah. He's the coolest. Yeah, and I think it's He cool. wrote us a, a congratulations letter after we made Tracktown. I guess that made it big enough of a splash in the alumni world. This is before he went to work for Obama, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, so Jeremy was always into film and I was into poetry, but I found poetry to be very isolating. And I always enjoyed being on teams. I always thrived with like a team goal where you couldn't, you are better together than alone. And so he lured me into the film world where you could never, I don't, we made a movie with three people, but I don't think we would have made it with one. Um, what was it like when you told your friends and family, like, I'm, I'm going to make a life in film? Well, Jeremy turned down grad school, which to make movies. What? what studying what? Uh, so I, well, I was one of those kids who like always wanted to be a filmmaker, but I, uh, I still went, like went to Dartmouth for like a general education. <laughs> but then when I graduated, I, I, I applied to a few grad programs and in film yes so i i guess i yeah it was usc uh and i remember looking sitting with my parents and looking at the the expense breakdown of what uh because i was lucky enough to have some to be able to have some support from my family to go to grad school and i think the the straw that broke the camel's back for grad school was the fact that Look, also grad school can be important for some people. Like if you're coming to film maybe a little bit later, but if you've grown up making films and chasing it, it was like you still have to pay for your own short film after you dropped a quarter million dollars on, on the degree. And that was like, I took a fraction of that and just went and made my first indie film. You made track town. Uh, no, I made a, a film on my own prior to that called Tallest the Baobab Tree, which is, uh, it, 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 I had made a documentary when I was an undergrad and Baobab was like a fictional version of the documentary with all the same real people acting as themselves. So in a way, it was practice for what Nick Kroll, Alexi, and I later did in the yeah. Olympics. But I think my parents uh, were like, I mean, you clearly have to go for this. And I think they were relieved that I just was like, I'll take the plunge, try to actually make something. And then if it doesn't work out, 
then at least I actually tried instead of going to school. That's pretty cool. And, <laughs> you know, Parasite just won. And, and I was talking to my wife about this. I was like, you know what's crazy? I was like, I bet you now Korean parents are going to make their kids become filmmakers. Right. Well, <laughs> it's like, this is fucking insane. They're not going to play golf anymore. They're going to play. Uh, you films. just need like a mentor. You just need somebody to be like my my kid or I could be like them. And I think that's why that movie is so important. My dad, my dad was an engin- is an engineer, and he is not a creative. But he, his best friend in college, he went to college with this. Sports announcer named Chris Berman, and they were best friends. Oh my god! So they my were dad, so my yeah. dad and <laughs> my dad and Chris were best friends. My dad was like always a statistician, but Chris had these wild dreams of doing what he eventually did. And I think my dad watched him build this career, and he always told me that it was okay that I was doing what I was doing because I was being like Chris, and that it was more like a ten-year plan. It wasn't going to pan out in one year, and but I think he saw he saw him as as a as like a tent pole for me. Uh, and also I think growing up, I just, I, I grew up with just my dad and my brother. I lost my mom to suicide when I was four. And I think my dad just wanted me to be alive and happy. Mm. And that was like, he, not that he had low standards, but at the very least, like just want to wake up every day. is <laughs> a good thing not to, you know, make a joke. No, of it. That, that, there's, there's a, uh, well, that's a beautiful story. Uh, out of something that was very, I can't even believe how sad that must be. But I also didn't anticipate to have a story based around Chris Berman. <laughs> He's great. And he, he, he made a cameo in, in our yeah. previous movie, a voice cameo. And he really built his career. Yeah. Like we can all, I think, look to someone, but he's certainly someone who just put his time in and he, he put in the unglamorous work that it takes to build something that doesn't exist yet. Um, I'm a huge fan, as I'm sure like anyone that likes brilliant work of Paul Thomas Anderson. And I don't remember where I read it, but I mean, before I heard of you guys, he had vouched for your movie. How was that? What must have, well, what happened? That was like when it was the equivalent to when my Olympic coach who was an Olympian said you could be an Olympian. It came from the right person. And I think when Paul said that it was like this permission to keep going in a way that matters differently when you hear it from your dad than when you hear it from PTA. We were in, we were home at visiting Alexi's dad and literally in her childhood dentist's waiting room when we got a flurry of texts that Paul Thomas Anderson mentioned our names in a podcast because uh, he was doing press for. Oh, he was doing it on the Bill Simmons show. Yes. That was it. Yes. yes. That was right. I was listening to that. That's the full yes. And that, yep. that podcast is amazing. Yes. Yes. And with 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 PTA, he was doing press for Phantom Thread, That's and right. this was, our track town had come out, and he had seen it on an airplane because we had I got the distributor had done an airline deal, uh, which is great. There's so many. We'll get into it, but uh, Olympic Dreams, are, the movie with Nick that we did, also came about because someone important saw it on an airline. But yeah, PTA saw it and. Uh, Simmons asked him, you know, what was a, an underrated film he saw? And then he just started talking about our movie. Definitely, we were like, this cannot be real. But Well, it reminds me of, because I listened to this podcast, it reminds me of the people that you've believed in first and how that can make such a difference. It really can. And I, and I also think another parallel is that we like telling stories uh, in specific places that we can uniquely tell. And I feel like 
that is not dissimilar to your philosophy when you open a restaurant. You seem to make it fit in with the place that it's in and like understand that it exists in like an ecosystem that you're entering and you're hoping to add to. And that's really like smart. Well, I know it's like the thing is like when the movies you make, they're so fucking personal. Yeah. That's what's crazy. And uh, it has to be. I mean, yeah. It has to be because art is a privilege. It's a privilege that you, I mean, I think some people think art is a right, but I think it's like a real privilege that I'm trying to earn and, and like matter in. And so I have to tell a story that I can uniquely tell because I don't know how else I'll matter. Did you, when you made track down, it's released. What were your, what, what did you think? It was like, what's next? You, you were so, you were training for the Olympics. I was training, so I wasn't an Olympian yet. I was about to go to the Olympics, and I think what we were thinking was, man, we hope this answers to the Olympic community first. Like, man, I hope my peers don't think this is lame because it was their world that I was representing, and so it needed to answer to the community that we were representing first. Then, of course, we wanted the whole world to love it too. But it was so cool when one of my Olympic teammates. Bridget said that it was a movie that she would show her kids one day to show them what it was like to train for the Olympics. It kind of felt like this, or this is what Eugene Oregon felt like. And we wanted to achieve the same thing with Olympic dreams where an Olympian might say, this is kind of what it feels like to be at the Olympics. And I think if you can answer to your like authentic core audience first, then you've done something remarkable and and it will transcend that, but it has to answer to them first. And then professionally, you're like, I hope that this does well enough that I can make another one. I mean, that's all, that's like always the goal. And I think that never goes away. That's what's been cool about meeting people like PTA is you learn that that hustle never ends. It just like grows. And I think that- The nervousness too. I mean, how terrified are you that you're like, wait, I'm making something incredibly personal and this might be my last shot or only shot. Is that a fear that you have? Well, the more and more we go down this path, the less and less we could do anything else. So we're like, <laughs> right. you like you lean in more and more, and then you, and then you lean in more and more. But you have a partnership here. That to me is what's fascinating. It's not just a solo endeavor. Nothing really is, but yeah. you can. Right. I mean, well, that was really hard. You guys are married, and yeah. <laughs> you guys yeah. are a real team, and that's got to have the pros and cons. But still, like. That's got to be. Let's get into it, yeah. Let's get into it. So (laughs) we learned this thing recently about the difference between work time and our, we work with like a team, this woman, Natalie, I love her, and she helped me understand it shouldn't be work time and relaxing time because relaxing time you could do separately. It should be work time and connecting time. This is about like how to maintain a healthy relationship and still work together because connecting is like spending time together. But I think also on a practical level, just like knowing our strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. I think that I can point to, so like, I think what was cool is that we early on, like enabled each other in a really good way. You could sometimes have friends or significant others that enable you in a bad way. But I think we met just at this time, like when, you know, I, 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 wanted to be a filmmaker. I knew I wanted to become an independent filmmaker. And, 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 you know, I had my like 50 year vision of like, 
writing and directing my own fantasy epic one day. I don't know how I'll get there, but like, I think Alexi en- enabled me to like, okay, well, why don't you, what, what, how are you going to make your first film? Like, and we found grants that I applied for at Dartmouth. And, and likewise with Alexi, she was just, her athletics were starting to hit a serious point, like towards her senior year of school. I was t- I'm two years older. So, um, we took each other's dreams yeah. really seriously. Right. And, I think I'm still someone who takes anyone's dreams very seriously. Like if they say it, I'm like, well, let's figure it out. And some people just want a shoulder to like cry on about how hard things are. But I'm like, there's always like a way. I think where it was challenging for us was after the Olympics. So after yes, the Olympics, Rio Olympics, after I ran in my first Olympics in Rio, I ran like out of my mind, national record, so great. And then boom, this post-Olympic depression that no Olympian talk, um, no one is prepared for it because you're just working so hard to get to that pinnacle that no one's gonna, no one's gonna warn you that it's gonna be hard right afterwards. If you win gold, if you get last, it's like a similar feeling of you've worked your whole life for something and then it's over. And Jeremy and I, our careers were so, you know, enmeshed in each other that when when I hit this. Well, Tracktown had also come out, like it had its world premiere at the LA Film Festival within like a few weeks. We were in Rio and there's with indie films, there's like a, you have a festival premiere and then you have a sales agent who tries to get you distribution, but uh, it can take a few months for like a deal to happen. So like Tracktown didn't actually come out to the public for like a half year later or something. So like after the Olympics, it was like, that was done, which was like a several year buildup and make, and our first big movie that we had made together, which was like, it took everything to, we poured everything into making those two things happen. And then the world, I think the world saw me as someone who was like at the top of my game. Like you must be the happiest, you're the most successful. And I just didn't feel the way that people saw me. And that was really hard. Did anyone prepare you? Because I think about this all the time. And in some ways, like, I have some parallels with your career as a filmmaker, Jeff, but I, even though I'm not an athlete, like, when you, and, and, and this is obviously something I connected with in Olympic Dreams and in Tracktown, but the whole idea of success and training for something, that's what we're conditioned to do. And every fucking book out there is, like, how to get to the mountaintop. No one ever fucking tells you what, what to do after it's- if you are lucky enough to get to your goal. It is so wild, like to and and it is it's relatable. Like the other day, Nick was on Kimmel, and we had the chance to like briefly meet him, and he said that he had the same feeling after he hosted the Oscars. Or and, even more relatable, like postpartum. Yeah, <laughs> people feel yeah. the same. But there, nobody there. prepares you, and I think why would you prepare an Olympian for that? Because if if you were preparing for the moment afterwards, you probably wouldn't even get there, and so you have to just not think past that cliff. You don't plan your life. You plan nothing usually for afterwards because you're just so focused on getting there. And I'm not sure that we should prepare for the moment after until it's over, but there certainly was a complete uh, confusing moment after. Can you relate after you open a restaurant or what is what is it for you? I think it's the that whole journey. It's not even just the restaurant. It's these goals where you're like, I have to be proficient at this. And then you become proficient. Let's just yeah. say it's nice skills. And then yeah. you're like, I got to be the best at brunoise. And then my, 
you know, other yes. line cook. And then you're like better, better, better until all of a sudden you're running your own kitchen and you've only focused on being so good at your craft. You don't know how to do anything else. Yeah. And that's what's scary is like as a cook, and maybe you can relate this with an, an athlete or as in film, you prepare so much that you might stunt your development as a human being. Yes. Well, that that's so it. Like, And, and that was actually the biggest thing I learned, so biggest surprise at the Olympics was to see these bodies that were so fully formed, like so many different types of bodies um, and people who seem to be at uh, fully formed people are actually quite, um, have a long way to go, like emotionally or otherwise. Like our bodies are so peaked and our minds are so unprepared for certain elements of life. And that's what I learned. And is it funny that people probably expect you because you're an Olympian and you're like peak physical condition, best of the best of the best, that they almost expect that to carry through in all aspects yes. of your life? Did you expect that? Well, I have a unique way into it because I've seen it from like the total ground up. It's like, it's like, you know, when you watch a movie that you've made, you know, like if you're seeing a shot, you kind of have in the back of your mind, like the eight other takes of that shot that you didn't use. So anyway, I, 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 I knew it with Alexi, like, and her teammates just seeing that, like, I mean, in Tracktown, the main character, when people first read that script, they thought that she was autistic. But the truth is, is that she was actually based on like a few different real teammates that we knew that we had combined together. And that character was so familiar to people in the running world, but so foreign to people outside. I think I was just kind of so deep in that world that I didn't even know. But what was cool about our new movie, Olympic Dreams, is like seeing that repeated in kind of different ways in other sports. And especially how it like, I think this phenomenon that you're talking about, about like razor focus to the detriment of life outside seems to happen more to endurance athletes. That was like a pattern I kind of noticed wow. because they, they, they have to be like every part of their lifestyle. However, I mean, I, th- I think to think that it doesn't prepare you for the rest of your life is something that I've learned is not true because it really does. Like I really now like transitioning into more of the acting world, they're like, you're going to get, or like trying to make a film, people are going to say no, you're going to get a hundred no's and one yes. And I'm like, I've lost 99% of the races I've run and it wasn't a loss because I knew what my goal was of that race. And you can always have, anyway, I know how to fall down and Mm. I know how to get back up. And I think to know now I see that like the athletics was not a waste of time, but in the moment it certainly was shocking to learn that the Olympics is a process, not just an event. That's kind of what the movie is like, you know, like usually in a sports film, the the climax will be the big race. But in in Olympic Dreams, that's an inciting incident. So that's like when we first meet Alexi's character, Penelope, who's a cross-country skier. It's like we, we get to know her a little. Then she races like pretty much right away. And you learn like she did great. She didn't medal or anything. but Personal she, best. Yes. Personal she had best. like a solid race. And now like this is where the movie really begins is where she's like, well, now what? And then she doesn't want to slow down. She wants to just like keep going and and build on whatever momentum it is. This is really fucking weird podcast because it's like I was there when you're filming this movie, and like there's so much backstory to get into. I don't. I'm just in my head trying to organize this. 
And I don't even know where to begin because this is a, such an exciting conversation to have. But uh, I don't want to lose this train of thought about like finishing something because I want to ask a filmmaker uh, from your perspective, do you ever want to go back and change something? Because about. now this movie's done, it's wrapped, it's out. It's, when is it coming out? Friday, Valentine's Day. It comes out in, <laughs> in New York and L.A. and then almost 40 cities and counting one week later. So like, I can't fucking believe it. It's insane. That's amazing. Like, yeah. With IFC, which is Are like you a, freaking out? Because. Yeah. Well, it's done. You know, it's yeah, but in like, the can. You, can you, do you have any feeling like I want to change this? So here's. Yes. Let me tell you. So. Uh, <laughs> There was this performance of crawls. No, I'm kidding. There, but like, so this was a technique that I learned, like, with my very first movie. And I think most directors, like everyone, kind of like knows that watching your raw footage or your first rough cut is like raking yourself over the coals. It's torture. Like it, it's 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 simultaneously exciting and also like really really hard. Uh, and I remember when I was watching the, the my first raw footage from coming back from my first movie, I kept doing this, like anytime I made a mistake, I would pound the desk and like really beat myself up about it. And I was like, there's there's literally nothing I can do. I can't go back in time. And when you're making a tiny indie film, you can't do reshoots. So I started a Word document where I just like wrote down what I had fucked up. And it's like, that's all that I can do at this point because it's set in stone. I, I can't go back. Now that Word document's like 50 or 60 pages long. But that was the only way I found that I could make my like uh, self-flagellation stop. It's because like, all right, don't say cut until five seconds after I'm 100% sure I need to cut because you're probably going to interrupt some cool little moment that happens after the actors think the scene is over. Uh, and, you know, like there's a, a zillion other lessons like this, but that's... Well, let's go in the time frame to go into the actual movie, right? So... I was a correspondent, this is so ridiculous, I was a correspondent for the Winter Olympics uh, and, uh, for NBC, and Nick Kroll and I are very close friends, and I don't know how we found out that we were both going there, and I didn't know exactly what he was doing because he didn't tell me. He didn't really know he knew. <laughs> he had a big idea. He had a big idea, and I was like, oh, you're shooting a yeah. movie, Okay. And I didn't know, and and it didn't dawn on me till like halfway through it that I was like, "Oh, the, this is this is what is happening." But um, it was crazy to watch the movie because I was like, "I was there, yeah. I was there for the opening ceremonies," and he was. We're trying to text each other, we're trying to find each other, and now it like completes the story for me of what was happening. For you to actually film a movie at these places is fucking insane to me because this is all happening live. More or less. We were filming like a real movie <laughs> in an active Olympic Games, and it's a it's the first time, and I'm I'm guessing it might be the last because it was so uh, it was so wonderfully chaotic, you know. It started with someone seeing it on the airplane on an air, and then we had this wonderful meal with you <laughs> that I have listened to this podcast on so many long runs in LA in the hills alone that to to meet you was was so cool we we went to this meal with you at like it was like a the, the Korean barbecue spot that was close to town in the mountains wherever we were at yes and you immediately just like 
were the captain of this meal and and everybody was grateful for that and it was the probably the only night that we really relaxed every other night we were filming the movie so this was a very special night to for us and and likewise i was it was a pleasure to get to talk to you guys and to to hang out that was like the one night yeah the one th- night the one night because i think i saw nick a couple times but my schedule was crazy it's hard to explain the Olympics. And all I've been told was the Winter Olympics pales in comparison to the insanity of the Summer Olympics. <laughs> Except it was very cold. So there's, that was a. It was so cold. That was a character yeah. in the and movie. And that's why I was <laughs> kissing my pants in laughter. And every time you guys were like, it's so cold. It's so the cold. It truly was. It would, but we weren't, it, even the athletes, they had, to, they had to pause a ski race because it was too cold. That's how cold it was. No one was running for like the first 10 days because it was too windy and too cold. Yes. Yeah. And to see you guys shiver, I was like, that is like, that was like, I watched it with my wife and she, I was just cracking up. She's like, was it really that cold? It's like, you have no idea how cold it was. And you guys were outside all the time. Constantly. Yeah. Yeah. PTA actually like noticed how cold Alexia and Nick were in, there's this like one bus station scene. It's like a very emotional scene, but it's like, they're so cold. And he's like, oh, that's really a really interesting technique to like (laughs) bring your actors into the present, you know, make them freezing cold. Yeah. It worked. Yeah. It's good pain though, you know? Before we go on, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Day Cheng Show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring is a challenge, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart, and growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. Codable co-founder Gretchen Hiedner experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a new game artist to grow with her education tech company. But then she switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference. And you can too by signing up for ZipRecruiter.com slash Cheng. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them for you. And by using ZipRecruiter screening questions to filter candidates, Gretchen found it easier to focus on the best ones, then find the right one. In fact, after posting her job on ZipRecruiter, Gretchen said she was honestly surprised she found qualified applicants so quickly and hired a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder that four out of five employers posting ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. C-H-A-N-G. Today's show is brought to you by Masterclass. Masterclass lets you learn from the best with exclusive access to online classes taught by masters of their craft. You can learn how to barbecue from the great Aaron Franklin, learn California cuisine from Alice Waters, or French cuisine from the master himself, Thomas Keller. There are over 75 different instructors across tons of categories that is literally something for everyone. My favorite one is learning how one of the great FBI hostage negotiators just talks to people and gets what he wants through communication. I love Masterclass because it gives me the insight I need from fields, that I'm always curious about. The Masterclass app is accessible on your phone, web, Apple TV, or Amazon Fire TV. Each class is broken out into individual video lessons and downloadable materials, all of which you can explore at your own pace. Lessons are about 10 to 15 minutes in length so that they can fit in your busy schedule. Single classes are $90, and the all-access pass is $180 a year. I really recommend this. It just makes you smarter, more knowledgeable, 
more worldly. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every masterclass. And as a listener, you'll get 15% off the annual all-access pass. Go to masterclass.com slash Chang. That's masterclass.com slash Chang for 15% off Masterclass. And now, back to the show. It was a, a total flashback for me because I could relate. I had no idea exactly what you were doing, but it gave, like, watching it helped me triangulate just how insane this movie was to make on your guys' end. Logistically, how did you do, do any of this? So it started to brag for Alexi because the, the president of the Olympics, of the IOC, International Olympic Committee, saw Track Town on an airplane, our previous film. And he was just touched because it was, I, he felt it was a, a really true portrayal of like the Olympic hopeful experience. And he did a little digging and learned about Alexi and me and that Alexi's a real Olympian. And long story short, we got invited to come to the Winter Games to do a film project and no one knew exactly what it was going to be. Uh, and, and, you know, there was a trust there that had never really existed before because Alexi's involvement and like, you know, she's an athlete. They, they'd spoken with us. Like they, they just, the, the timing was right or, or something was right where they're like, we could go anywhere we want and film anywhere except for, you know, athletes in a medical tent without their permission. That was pretty much the only restriction. And then, you know, like we had to, pitch them our idea, which was like, like, uh, (laughs) their vision was that we would make really short films because that's what they thought was possible. And we are the type that will take a small pile of twigs and build like a really great tree house, like the biggest, tallest one you could possibly build. And so we were like, why don't we make a feature? And that was a massaging of a conversation with them to get them to understand why it was important to have another actor, to bring Nick, to, and they were open to it. They just didn't think it was possible. How did you find Nick? We, you know, we, we were like, first I knew it was going to be a three person team. So I was like, cause that was all we could get security clearance for. And like, I, so I was prepared to be a one man band. Like, and I, we could talk about the, I, I built a, with a T a great, like group of folks, like helped me design a camera rig with cinema quality picture and sound. So we were like, I'm going to have, I can have two actors and what kind of story can we tell? So we, we, for inspiration, we looked at Lost in Translation and like before sunrise and like, all right, it's going to be this kind of like, like love story. So we just had this idea for this character in our mind and we had a casting director and it was from there it was actually kind of a straightforward, like Hollywood casting process, except, you know, with the huge caveat of like, you're going to be one person on a three person team. We yes. don't even know if we can fully pull this off. Uh, and it's, but it's at the Olympics and how cool is that? So we needed yeah. a generous teammate. Like yeah. we needed someone who knew how to be a producer, how to write, how to act. And someone who saw the chaos as opportunity rather than see the chaos as a barrier. Right. And Nick is like a multifaceted person, as you know, and he was so great because he was always game. We were head on a swivel while we were there. A lot of it was planned out, but the locations, there were times when we would pull over and shoot a scene because the location was so stunning that we needed to. And to have someone like Nick who was down for that at midnight to shoot a scene. You guys were shooting like pretty much constantly. There was like, we stayed, they had this, like, we were either eating at the like hotel breakfast or at the athlete village dining hall. 
or shooting pretty much, That's except awesome. for when we could sneak away for like dinners in town. But like, you know, Nick comes from, and also we, we needed someone with good improbability. Cause we had, so we had written out, it's like a, it's called a scriptment. It's like, a, a, an outline that's that's not quite a script like a did you tre- have the story finished beforehand or was it how much of it was improv so I, all the words were improvised it's all so of crazy. the <laughs> <laughs> um but the 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 emotional like the arcs and what we were trying to achieve in each scene were planned um the only thing that really came as I don't want to ruin the movie. For no, no, that's one. why it's like I'm yeah, trying to figure out how to. Yeah, there so, was no, no, that that one, which was like, what the fuck? That was improvised. <laughs> well, we knew it was like this big thing that was supposed to it's, happen. It's such a good when. scene that you can't yeah. talk about it. Yeah, but we like we we had written it out with like kind of bullet points of like uh, generally what happened, and then Nick, Alexi, and I really spoke a lot in advance about who their characters were, what they wanted, why they can't get it, where they are in life. So everyone was just like totally rooted. And then Nick and Alexi both have like improv background. So, you know, I I would have a schedule and a location list, but you know how crazy it was over there. Even like getting from one place to another was, it was like really tough. It's so hard to describe how insane this whole process was. Just being at the Winter Games. So for you guys to film a movie, even improv and script, it's it's so hard for me to wrap my head around. And I cannot, it's not, it's almost ineffable for me to let the audience know the level of difficulty of what you guys are trying to do. I don't even understand it. Well, it's almost a case of like less, less people was better because we were so nimble and we were so, we all bought in so much that nobody, and the Olympics has this spirit of possibility, truthfully. So when you're in that environment, you're like, anything is possible. And you just keep leaning into that spirit. And my favorite place is the dining hall in the whole Olympic Village because it's open 24 hours. It's the only place where athletes can really eat. It's the best people watching. It's where all the nervous people go before they're competing. It's where all the people go to celebrate after. And I think we had a lot of scenes in there. Uh, because it was is my favorite place in the village. I also laughed because that was my favorite place in the this <laughs> media studio. Like, was it all the? Oh, you the guys had really was, good. Uh, I got yeah, to eat yeah, at the, you guys at, had the good really good. at the like Olympic broadcast. Yeah, that was NBC okay. one, right? So the, the athletes' village one is like that, but like maybe <clears throat> like literally thirty times bigger. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like the size of a in the summer games it's like the size of a football field and the fact that that was made just for that is still mind-boggling to me. Right. It's like they build a city for this. It's it's truly it's different than when you watch it on the news or read it in the newspaper when you're actually there. Yeah. Um but to the movie like I I'm finding it hard this is the first time we've done this where I've actually seen the movie before. Okay. Oh cool. So like this is like a new thing. Usually I can yeah, talk yeah. to someone cuz they're like I, I have no idea what it's going to look like. I'm still in editing. Yeah. Uh, something like that. Or I'm about to open this restaurant. No one knows. So this is this is fun for me because it's a totally new thing. I don't want to reveal too much. But the one thing that I took away, and I think without revealing again too much about the movie, was it felt like it was processing grief. Yeah. That's how mm-hmm. I took it. And... At first, it took me a while, and it was a little bit like the track town thing. It wasn't like someone that was on the spectrum. It was someone that was only that you would possibly know that feeling of 
being an Olympian, having done it, and then what's next? Because you were in a, I, it feels, it felt to me like a state of shock. Yeah, it's, it is grief. And grief, I think so often has, has like a sad or a negative connotation, but like grief is just the byproduct of commitment, right? It's just, it's the, it's a part of chasing a dream. Um, you know, the best advice I ever got in my entire life was from my Olympic coach, and he said, it relates to this, he said that if you're chasing, uh, I had a bad workout one day before the Rio Olympics, and he was like, oh, it's the rule of thirds. And I was like, what's the rule of thirds? And I trusted this coach, Coach Ian, with like my life. And he said, the rule of thirds is that if you're chasing a dream, you should feel good a third of the time, okay a third of the time, and crappy a third of the time. And if you feel too good all the time, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. And if you feel too crappy all the time, then you're fatiguing or something is off. And so one, that changed my life because it, it applies to everything. But two, I think with this movie, there's that third there that you have to face after the peak that is a part of the dream coming true. And if you can see it that way, then it's really bright. But when you're in that moment, it feels really hard. You know, I thought was one of my favorite moments, and it was a little bittersweet, and forgive me if it reveals a little much, but when you went to the medal ceremony, and it wasn't like out of jealousy, it was just like I needed to have like completion. Yeah, and I think Jeremy showed the moment after like the medals get sweeped and you see this like kind of under the the, the other side of the Olympics that it is like this event that... I don't right, know. It's one I of like my favorite scenes. shots in the whole movie. So like now, we're, cause like with the movie, it's fun. I'm, I appreciate that you're talking about like the substance of it itself, like the grief process, but also, yeah, like how it was made is a story in and of itself. But like, so this moment was after her race, we wanted her character to be watching the medal ceremony and watching the other people get the medals. So I, we, Alexi and I went to like an, a medal ceremony for like a random women's sport. I don't even know what it was. I put her in the crowd and she had to start like crying. Uh, and then there was this one shot of like after the athletes, the real athletes got their medals. Like it was a replay of, of them like celebrating on this big screen next to the stage. So the shot starts on that screen and you see the athletes celebrating and you think that's what the shot is. But then the camera moves down. You realize that's a screen and you see like the like equipment wranglers like, yes. physically yeah. lifting the metal stand off the stage and like carting it into a truck type of thing. And it's like, Oh, of course there's like, you know, roadies like handling the Olympic production, but you don't yeah. think of that. And it, that was just like what the movie is. Like, yeah. that's a great little moment. And, and another aspect I like to that is, and if I'm correct, you don't find out that you did well in the race till a little bit later on. Yeah, that's some sports they don't. So the yeah, cross country skiing they they get they set out for their race 10 you know, what is it? Like 30 seconds apart. And Yeah, but I think Dave's talking about how in the movie there's like the scene with Gus happens later where we learn that like because at first all we know is that your character is uh, kind of disappointed. Yeah. Then later we realize, oh no, you actually did a personal yeah. best. It's just right. it's almost okay. like you did your personal worst. That's like yeah. it almost sense to me. And I was like, oh, when I learned that you did uh, it the best, I was like, oh, this is like totally different. To me. Right, right, right. But she's still hard on herself. And I think that that what that points to is that most athletes at the highest level it's not like a game of me versus she. It's not about like you versus these other 
women. I don't think the medal ceremony was sad to her because she was resentful of those other girls. I think it was genuinely because she wanted more out of herself. Mm. And so there's always like, and I, and I wonder if you can like relate to that with like your peers where you always, everyone do their best. Great. But I still want more out of myself, you know, or. I think that's one of my biggest problems. How? <laughs> right. Because like, it's never enough. Yes. I, and I'm at war with myself. Right. And but it, yeah, but it's it just, a, it's my own neuroses. It's just, it's just like never ends. But why is that a bad thing? Why is it a bad thing to, can you be proud of yourself and want more out of yourself at the same time? Well, actually I've ta- I literally talked to my sugar about this a lot. It's, it's a problem when you don't enjoy it. Right. It really is only problematic if it becomes your like sole focus of, of competition of yourself that you can't enjoy the moment or be present in it. To me, that is problematic. And that's being, a problem yeah. I have. Oh, so I, okay, does being a dad change that for you? 100%. Because it's like there are moments that you can be. And, and I think the creative process, as you guys can maybe attest to, is it is and can be the most narcissistic, selfish endeavor. But then when you think about it as what isn't, including like when your grandmother or Mm -hmm. or someone you love makes you food, Mm -hmm. they're not trying to make you just protein units. There's a certain ego of like, I want you to feel good. And it makes me feel good knowing that you're going to love this dish. So it's, again, as you were talking about the rule of thirds, there's a balance in having that ego. To me, you know, when when I see a moment like Hugo's just beginning to walk, it's... It's the most pure feeling. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is as good as it gets. And it dawns on me because it's not about me mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And it's like a constant reminder of things usually go bad when I have too much self-indulgent thoughts or I'm just worried about myself. And that's the fucked up nature of competition is oftentimes you have to worry about yourself to do anything yeah. outside of yourself. I don't know if it makes any sense. No, this yeah, just yeah. makes perfect sense. Cool. Cause also like you can, and, and I mean, you should like constantly be pushing yourself. I mean that, cause that's like making an indie. I feel like, like we, we connected on this and we had, we had a brief conversation like this in, in Korea, like launching a, a career as an artist or as a, like a chef restaurateur is kind of like, you have to constantly be driving yourself. No one else is going to be checking in on you. You need that like never good enough feeling to cut, to fuel you to like do things that no one's expects you to do. But uh, when it becomes pathological, right. That's yeah. problem. And I feel like there's like, cause sometimes I question like, so actually like around the reason that the, post-Olympic, like, slash post-track town, post-first movie crash, ultimately, I mean, it was really challenging. Like, it was hard. But ultimately, it was really good because, like, that we were able to come out of it and continue in this life because, like, I remember having a thought during track town when we were putting everything together, like, waking up and feeling like literally my life is at stake every day. And it, this does not feel good. And this isn't fun. Like, so I, like I, my mantra there was to like, try to remember to have fun. You're making a movie. Like, this is great. But it just, it wasn't fun. It sucked. It was really hard. And so I feel like finally, now I'm at a place, I mean, it continues to like grow and change, but like where I'm able to amuse in the process as it's like going. But, but I still sometimes feel that like, that like really, 
intense, like never good enough drive. And that's why I wonder, well, maybe if I'm like, I have a kid and it's finally like my life is not just about me anymore, it'll change or something. But, but you've also incorporated practices. Like, yes, like we, true. like two things. One, we actively <laughs> do this thing that we call relishing, which is like where you just pause every day or we're on a drive home from a Whip meeting and we're like, no. <laughs> and we say what went well or like, what do we have to be proud of? You, because I think we talked about this in Korea as well. Relishing. Yeah. Because it's not your first instinct to celebrate something or to be proud. It's to critique. It's, or at least if right. you're people like us, yeah. you're going to be critical before you're proud. And so, so I think to actively create a practice around it and say, we are relishing now and forcing out some of the pride or the, I don't know the. It's a very like to me like a Buddhist state of mind where is it? you're like you were yeah. saying it's like athletic. You're like no, this is what at, like look at when like pro basketball players talk about themselves. The they think they're the shit. Yeah. Like they will yeah. hype themselves up, and that's like an athletic thing. Whereas like if you're just in like the arts or in your world, like it's easy to be like, all right, like opening night was tonight. Next time we have to fix this, 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 and this. And you're like, so you go immediately to beating yourself up. How about like letting yourself be the shit for a little while? But the, to me, the, the perfect balance, weirdly, is when I can oscillate from being, like, the cockiest asshole possible, simultaneously being like, I have zero self-confidence whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, like, to be... <laughs> right. Yeah. I, to be confident and, and humble at once is, or, like, to have humility. It's the same thing as the rule of thirds, almost. Yeah, it is. About. It is. Right. It really is. And... and as far as feelings, I mean, I think the thing that you and I learned is that we learned this thing about how your actions change your thoughts, which change your feelings, like in that order. And so, like, when we feel something. This is when we were super depressed after the Olympics. Yeah, but that was a really valuable tool because it meant that, like, you might feel really crappy or you might feel whatever for a long time because the feelings are like the the kite, the, the tails of the kite but the actions are the kite and like the actions have to change first. And so maybe the action is relishing. Maybe the action is being with your family or whatever it is, but it seems like our actions are the things that are going to change everything. Now that it's out there, it's releasing on Valentine's yeah. day. Mm -hmm. What have you learned and what, what's next, right? <laughs> I guess I was like, uh, we, I mean, what I learned was like making a movie with just me as the crew <laughs> was like really hard, but it was also, you know. I love the credits. That was hilarious. It was very like, Jeremy, 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 Jeremy. I was like, yeah, I, I was like, we got to put that in. Well, be, yeah, because we wanted people to know that this was a one person. Anyway. <laughs> You know, that's like the way that a lot of filmmakers grow up making stuff. It's like you with a camera or even in college or when you're making your first more serious project, it's still basically just you. But as you grow, like everything grows. So it was cool yeah. to have an opportunity to to like go back to basics, but still have it be a step forward career speaking. Because like so much of the time when you're when you are building a bigger project, like your energy, your mental energy goes towards like managing the thing itself rather than just being a director, which is like connecting with your actors and being creative in the moment. So to like have a project where that was the only thing we could really do was really, was cool. So like, that's what I learned is how I want sets to feel from now on, because I got to have that like totally boiled down 
experience. So hopefully with the next movie, like we've written a script uh, that, that we're like, you know, getting out there and building the cast and all that stuff now, like that's going to have to be a bigger size crew, but I still want it to feel the same. So that's what I learned. You were making this movie without a net at yes. all. <laughs> right. Yeah. He even had to, Jeremy made friends, we made friends with the Team USA bobsled chiropractor because his back was so in so much pain every day that he needed to get adjustments so that he could just sustain himself the next day. Of course, Nick and I got adjustments as well, but we were not carrying the <laughs> Well, because he was a Nick Kroll fan, so that's yeah, why I was like, all right, really come nice. on, let's, I'll crack your back. Um, I think I learned, like, the value of, like, your team, that your teammates, you know, I mean, in sports they tell you you're as strong as your weakest player. It's true in film, too, that, like, tone and energy and, you know, attitude really matters so that Nick showed us the good side of that. And I'm thankful we didn't have a non Nick, you know, and, I can't imagine anyone else. Right. But Nick. <laughs> and then I learned that I love to act, you know, more than running. There's a time and a place for everything in your life. And I, I just feel like I love to perform and acting is very fun because I get to perform in a way that I'm like connecting with someone else and it makes me very happy. So it was really joyful. You don't have to be in physical pain. Well, act. also, also <laughs> with the athletics, like I will say like, it's such a commitment that like, I've always wanted to do it for a period of time and do it like, like do it right and not do it forever. Some so, people want to do it forever. So at that is, level. Is Tokyo happening, not happening? I don't know yet. So I'm going, that's the other thing is, so I'm going to a training camp in Greece in like two weeks for like four or five weeks intensely training with like a bunch of Greeks. Are you going with her? No. I'm going alone. I, like I'm focusing. They have, a, they have like a, the last training camp was like at this little like auberge type of place in the woods and there was, in the mountains and there was a chef who like we don't local think. animals like yeah he's like oh so, this I'm is jealous actually of the greatest line is get to eat. the chef brought out a <laughs> he brought out he brought out a rabbit one day like for us to eat and it would be all all these animals and he'd go you know that rabbit I knew that rabbit he was a good guy that rabbit and then we ate it and it was like I mean it was so you know it was that kind of thing but the point is I don't know I'm 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 training. My eyes are open to it, but there's a certain point where it's out of your hands a little bit for the Olympics. Are they going to choose, or is it based on time? It's based on time and selection. So they they were the standards for the marathon, which is the the event I'm trying to run now. I ran the ten thousand in Rio. Uh, the the standard changed by like more than like ten or fifteen minutes, so it's like a very fast time. And I'm going to work, and I'm going to try to run a race in Europe in April and see if I can do it. So for people to realize, how fast are you running an average mile right now on 26.2 miles? So it's the goal is that I can run 540 pace for a marathon. So and I just ran one in like more like 550 pace. So I need to like, and I ran the 10K in like five minute pace, but that was a 10K. That was in Rio. So that's the... And and the point is like I love running, I love acting, but at a certain point you don't want to have to nap every single day or sleep ten hours a night or be basically like I am the baby in my family. I need the perfect food. I need to groom my life around running, and and I want to, but I will not do it that way forever because I think there's another chapter 
That, and yeah. Whether you make it or not, this is probably your last, last one, last shot at con- competitive running too. I, I think the arts are like pulling me in that direction where that might, that will probably be the case. And you will find out in my book called Bravey because it will address this. Alexi has a memoir coming out in uh, August, which we'll talk about this, yeah. this question. Perfect. perfect. Yeah. What's yeah. the title again? Bravey. And that is what my fans call themselves. And it came about from a poem that I wrote that was run like a bravey, sleep like a baby, dream like a crazy, replace can't with maybe. And bravey rhymed, but it was the word that people latched onto, I think, because so many of the words that young female athletes in particular are fed when they're younger are like strong and fierce and outward facing words that you perform, like you you show them to the world. And I think bravey is more like a choice you make. It's inward facing to be brave. It's also not a real word, so you can decide what it means. Very cool. Well, I'm excited. Uh, fingers crossed. And uh, the funny thing is, I, I'm supposed to be in the Tokyo again. We'll run it Are back, you? maybe. Yeah. Well, we, I think we want to be there in some athletic or artistic capacity, so I think we'll be there, too. And, and did you enjoy your time at the Olympics then? I had a total blast. It was one of the best times because you just never— First of all, the Winter Olympics are so cool. I mean, like, cold and cool, but— it's so dangerous. Almost every sport is like, are you serious? Right. This is crazy. Everything feels like you're going to die. <laughs> what sport would you do if you could be anybody and any any person, any sport? I don't know, man. Like winter, if it was just the Winter Olympics, I just have mad respect for how insane all of it is. But Koreans being very good at speed skating. And I left short track speed skating thinking, this is the coolest sport to watch live out of any sport I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Because it's wow. total anarchy. It's insane. And I loved it. And I was so glad to watch all of these things. But I was, I was, we were, NBC had me working. And I didn't yeah. get to see that much because we were just, I don't know what happened. I must have been. You did like a food bit with them we did, too. We did some food bits. We recorded yeah. that beforehand. And, it was amazing. We got to go to see the Huenyo women down in Jeju Island and got to eat around. So all in, when I have to look back on it, it was probably one of the coolest things I've ever been able to be part of. And I also realized that, like, I had to take the responsibility of representing, like, Korea. Yes, yes. Right, to America. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm the last person most Koreans would choose. <laughs> anyway, this isn't about me. This is about you guys. But... uh um, movie comes out Valentine's Day and I think it's a good movie to see in theaters because it captures the grandness of the Olympics it also is very romantic it's a very <laughs> it is a very romantic movie that's why the, our distributors chose Valentine's Day but like real romantic How? capital R yeah you know yeah, yeah. Done. Well, that was my conversation with Jeremy Tyker and Alexi Pappas. Uh, rooting for Alexi. Hopefully she qualifies for Olympics this year in Tokyo. And this movie that's coming out, please support it. Watch Track Town, their last movie. Olympic Dreams is a beautiful film. Great acting. Nick Kroll crushes it. And again, uh, the level of difficulty for making this film, I cannot reiterate enough. It was truly remarkable that they 
made it happen and they made a film that I think really touched and resonated with me about working your ass off to get to this point and then what happens when you have to come down from the mountain. So very excited for them and support it. Support Olympic dreams. Um, wanted to quickly talk about Parasite. A lot's been said. I couldn't be more excited that it won. I like the movie a lot. I'm more excited that Parasite got the recognition it deserved and all the positive repercussions it's going to have for director Bong and the whole cast and crew. But I never, never thought in my wildest dreams, a Korean film that was in subtitles would kick ass at the Oscars. And, um, you know, obviously I have a mixed relationship with Korea and all these things, but it was truly just a monumental moment for so many people. And check it out. Check out the rest of Bong's films. I'm a, I love Snowpiercer. Man, what, what a wonderful moment. And Steve Ewan, who's been on this podcast, a friend, won Sundance with his new film, Minari. Just very excited about what's happening and, and the conversation we're having about culture, about arts in Asia. And I was joking that, you know, I think there are going to be a lot more Koreans that are going to get in the filmmaking, maybe less so in the golf course. And I'm excited about what that future looks like. So, um, Yeah. Not trying to get emotional here, but I was I was so, so fucking happy. Anyway, moving on. We have two pods next week. One's going to include a post-opening diaries, which is going to lead into our Ask Dave at MajorDomaMedia.com question. This one comes from the iTunes site. If you give us five stars, ask us a question, we will answer it and read it on the air. From Not the Commish, where's the Co post opening diaries? I recently enjoyed a meal in New York at Co and then was in Vegas to enjoy all the grandness of a seven and a half pound king crab at Major Dome Meat and Fish. At Co, your wonderful GM, Su Wong Ruiz, mentioned that a post opening diaries for Co was recorded and uh, don't hold anything back, Dave. We need more. Not the Commish asks also, where do you eat when you're in Chicago? On um, the Chicago end, listen, you have some of the best chefs in, in the country. Paul Cahan, Stephanie Azard, Grant Ockets, the list goes on and on. There's so many great places. I am not the expert in Chicago, but um, there are a lot more people that know better. So check out, I guess, Eater Chicago. Check out the Michelin Guide. But to your question about the post-opening diaries for Co., it's happening. Glad you had a good meal at Major Dome Meat and Fish. I have... A very, very special relationship with Sue Wong Ruiz, the general manager of Co, and Sean Gray, the chef of Co. We go way back, and um, I'm excited for people to listen to this. It's been a long time coming, and we recorded this a couple months ago, and uh, we're finally getting around to releasing it. So hope you enjoy that. I'm anticipating a lot more questions, and hopefully we'll have Sue and Sean on this podcast more, and we'll talk about that next week when we release it. Anyway. I'm in the weeds with work, so if I sound rushed, I apologize, but uh, there's just a lot of stuff going on, and sometimes I wish I could just focus more time on doing this podcast, but things are fucking crazy right now, and uh, I appreciate the patience and the continued support. Um, Stay tuned next week for a couple new podcasts. Thank you again to Nick Kroll, Jeremy Tyker, Alexi Pappas. Check out Olympic Dreams. Give us five stars, however you rate this podcast. Peace. Bye.